One of my favorite stories is a story that was told often by the famed Magad of Yerushalayim, Rav Shalom Shwadran, which he described walking through the, the streets of Yerushalayim in his neighborhood, Shari Chesed, one year and overhearing two elder Yidin, two elder Hasidish men discussing their anxieties over the upcoming Yimei Hadin. And the first one said to his friend, you know, I'm really worried, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur coming up, What's going to be with our Averos? To which his friend responded, Averos? That I think will be okay, that I'm not worried about. What I'm really worried about is, What's going to be with our mitzvos? What's the pshat in that story? I think what was being conveyed is actually something quite profound and something for all of us to really deeply consider. I don't think Rav Shwadran meant, or what those individuals meant, was that often people may be making mistakes when they perform the mitzvah. Maybe their Dalad Minim weren't exactly kosher. Maybe their Tefillin weren't exactly the right way. I don't think that's what he meant at all. Rather, I believe what he was suggesting, what he's getting at, is that not from a technical perspective, but from a more profound perspective. Too often, we're missing the essence of the mitzvah, which is not just the technical and mechanical performance, but the awareness, the feeling of closeness in Kirvas Elohim, being close to Hashem through and because of those mitzvos. The Navi Yirmiyahu in Perak Bey's Pasuk Chavzayin, in giving tochacha to the people, criticizes Am Yisrael, Ki panu elai oref velo panim. In essence, loosely translated, that we turned our back to Hashem. Hashem is critical of the people, panu elai oref, you turned your back on me. You weren't facing me, velo panim. The Alter Rebbe in the Lakute Torah and Parshas Achrimos says he doesn't understand the construct of this Pasuk. Ponu Eli means that the people are facing HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Ponu Eli, you turned towards me, you're facing HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If that's the case, asks the Alter Rebbe, how can the Pasuk then say that they have their backs to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, meaning that they're not facing him? Are they facing HaKadosh Baruch Hu or are they not? What exactly is the criticism? What was going on? So he explained in such a beautiful and profound way. He says the rebuke of the Jewish people by the Navi is that even when they're facing HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in other words, even when they're doing the mitzvos, and in a frontal and direct way, they're engaging with, connected to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even when they're connecting, even when they're facing Hashem, they still have their backs to Him. They still are missing something. And that is, it's as if their back is to them, they're distant from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Even when they're doing the mitzvos, it's as if, Pono Alai Oref, they have their back to Him. They're distant. They're doing the mitzvos with all of the details. But they're not present. 
They don't have a true connection to Kaddish Baruch Hu while they're doing the mitzvos. They may be performing the outer shell of the mitzvah, but they're devoid of its inner content. And we've all had this experience, we can relate to this, if we think about experiences we've had with other people, in our actual relationships with people. right? We've all had that experience where you're talking to someone, and they're kind of somehow managing to get through the conversation, but they're clearly not present. Sometimes they're looking at you and not present, and sometimes their eyes give it away. You know, you're looking at them and they're, you know, distracted, right? This sometimes, there used to be a thing called smorgasbords, simchas, you know, used to go, hors d'oeuvres, cocktail party, and you'd be, you know, sometimes people get distracted, there's so many people, so many things happening, and you're trying to talk to someone and you see they're kind of already looking past you, they're talking to you, but they're not really communicating with you. This is, in fact, unfortunately, says the Alter Rebbe, a description so often of how we do mitzvos. Yes, on some level, it's Pano Eli. We are facing HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're doing the mitzvos. But too often, it's really Pano Oref. We're really, unfortunately, with our back to Him. We're not really connecting. We're not really present. We're not really with HaKadosh Baruch Hu even when we are facing Him. And the basic message here is quite simple but quite important. And that is that it's simply not enough to just be doing the right thing. There are plenty of things that we must do. Plenty of Maiseh Mitzvah. And of course, nothing that we're saying is licensed to be lenient or in any way skimp on those details. But the point is, it's simply not enough. Salvechik once said, in a different context, that halacha is a floor, not a ceiling. Let that one sink in, it's deep. Halacha is a floor, not a ceiling. Halacha, the maiseh mitzvah, is the bare minimum, not the maximum. That's just to get started. But if all we're doing is the technical maiseh mitzvah, without truly connecting with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then we're no better than that generation of Jews that the Navi gave to Chachatu. Ponu alai oref, the low ponim. We can be facing HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but not truly looking at Him, not truly feeling connected, not truly being in His presence. There's a similar message that emerges from the Slichos as well. Of course, the essence of the Slichos, which we are beginning tonight, and we'll say through Yom Kippur, are the Yud Gimel Midos HaRachamim. And the Gemara, Masech the Rosh Hashanah, Daf Yud Zayin, Amad Aleph, tells us, of course, in the most famous passage, commenting on the words in the Posuk, V'yavor Hashem al Panov, Vayikra, says the Gemara in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, Ilmole Mikra Kosuv, Yevsher Omra. If it wouldn't have been stated by the Torah itself, it is too amazing, too astounding. We would not have been able to say it ourselves. But yet it is stated in the Torah. And Rabbi Yochanan basically understands the Pasuk is re- relating and communicating the following very famous image. Malamed says the Gemara, That Hashem wrapped himself in his talis, as if he was the chazin. And he showed Moshe exactly what needs to be done, what should be done 
in a difficult time such as this, at a time when the people have sinned, when they're vulnerable and frankly deserving punishment. Amr Loa, Karish Baruch says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Kozman She Yisrael Chotin, as long any time that the Jewish people sin, Yasu Lafanai Kaseder Hazeh. Right? If you'll just do this, if you'll just say these words, if you'll just say the Yud Gimel Midas Arachmim, the Slichos, and says the Gemara with great hope and triumph, Va'ani Mochel Lahem. Kashbarach says, I will forgive them if they'll just do this. Yasa Lafanai Kaseder Hazeh, the Yud Gimel Midas Arachmim. And undoubtedly, the simple understanding of the Gemara, and I have to be honest, it's not just a simple understanding of the Gemara. You will find this in many Sfarim, such as the Chida, the Hafla, the Bnei Yisachar, that we're talking about saying the Yogimu Miras Arachamim. In other words, the Gemara is saying something really fantastic, amazing, hard to believe, that this is a kind of magic formula. That if we say these words, Hashem promises, just as He forgave the Jewish people ultimately for the Chet HaEgel, so too, Hashem promises in the future, Moshe, teach the Jewish people this hidden code. This is like the secret handshake of the Jewish people. This needs to be passed down from generation to generation. Undoubtedly, while perhaps, I hope, we will never commit a sin individually or nationally as grievous and as serious as the Chet HaEgel, but nevertheless, just like this secret formula worked for the Jewish people at the time of the Chet HaEgel, Sakash Baruch was telling Moshe, Teach the Jewish people this little, this hidden handshake, the secret code that we have. If they ever get in trouble, this is like that word you have to say, you know, like, don't, you know, only the, you know, the, it's like the spy who's got like that little, you know, he's here for, you know, you say that word, no one else will know what's going on, but you say that, and the cavalry will come running, they'll come rescue you. You have this secret formula, the secret words. You say this, Moshe, you tell the Jewish people to say this, and as the Gemara itself says, Va'ani mochel lahem. And that's incredibly, incredibly powerful. On the one hand, on the other hand, it seems quite simple, right? Just say the words, a magic formula, and we'll be forgiven. Now, to be fair, the Bnei Sashar and others point out, this only works if you say this with incredible kavana. But if you can truly, truly say this with kavana, some of the Mepharshim point out, this is uh, perhaps reflected by the image of the wrapping ourselves in a talis. And therefore, some Mepharshim say, that's why it's really preferable, especially for those who will say slichos, uh, you know, going forward in the mornings, that they should try some Mepharshim, not everyone, but some Mepharshim say it's better to have a talis, but it's not really about the talis, of course, it's about what that represents, and that is the avoiding distractions, the ability to completely focus. It's not just wearing the talus. It's nisatef patalus, being completely enveloped in the talus, being completely in the moment, and saying those words, not just mouthing them, but truly talking to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that is magically powerful. And I think that's certainly worth considering. And again, many, many Mepharshim say this, perhaps you could even call this the Pashas of the Gemara. However, I've always been fond of the incredible and powerful interpretation of the Al-Sheikh HaKadosh. The Al-Sheikh HaKadosh in his parish to Parsha Shlach has a different interpretation of this Gemara. And he's motivated by a very simple question. Says the Al-Sheikh HaKadosh, how many people over the years have recited the Yugim Omidus and they didn't get results? It didn't work. 
What we've been saying until now is that there's some magical formula, this special password. And if you know the right password, you know the right words to say, then it, you know, you'll get forgiven. You'll have this tremendous reward from that. But says the Alshech, and the Alshech, you know, he's one of those few people who's known as Hakadosh. He's not a cynic, chas v'shalom. But says the Alshech, if that, if that question has ever creeped into the back of your mind, if any of those doubts have ever creeped into your mind when you've learned this Gemara, or year after year as you're saying the Slichos, and you're wondering, is it really helping? I don't seem to see the results. Ask the Alshech the same exact question. And the Alshech, therefore, based on this question, says he thinks we've misunderstood the Gemara. After all, says the Alshech, the Gemara is meduyak. It never says that the magic formula is to say the Yud Gimel Midos. What was the language of the Gemara? Ya'asu lefanai kiseiderzeh, says the Alshech. Perform this service. Implying, says the Alshech, the key is not saying Hashem Hashem kel rachum v'chanun. The key is becoming like HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Just like HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the rachum. Make yourself into a rachum. Just like HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the chanun, the gomel chesed, the emes, all the different attributes that are described there. Each one, as much as we can adapt on a human level, says the Alshech, that's the secret. That's the powerful punch. It's not just what we say. Talk is cheap, says the Alshech. It's what we do. It's who we become. Yasu lefanai keseder hazeh. You want to know what will really bring HaKadosh Baruch Hu's forgiveness? Trigger Hashem's Rachamim? Not just mouthing the words, even with Kavana, even with Kavana. Without Kavana's Garshver, of course not. But even with Kavana, says Alshach, that's not enough. The Gemara said, Yasu Lafanai. We have to do it, we have to incorporate it into our lives. We have to make ourselves into Anshe Rachamim, who are Abal Rachamim, not just to have Rachamim, and so not just to say the words. In other words, what we see, I think, from both what we started with, when it, in the Lakute Torah, and what we see here from the Alshech as well, is that it's not just about what we do, and it's not even just about what we say. What's most important is who we are. And Shuva is about who we can become. Again, this is not to minimize or in any way ne- imply that we can neglect the Chiyuvim that we must do those mitzvot such as tefillah which we must say. But we have to realize that that's simply not enough. As I mentioned before from our Salvechik, that's the floor, not the ceiling. That's the minimum. That's the starting point. But that is supposed to engender a deepening and a genuine connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. If we just go through the motions, it's certainly better than not going through the emotions. But it's not really what we're asked of throughout the year. And that's certainly not the avoda of the slichos and the yemei harachamim, which we are now fully engaged in, mirza Hashem, for the next two weeks or so. The Pasuk says in Tehillim, in Perik Pe'alef, lo yiyabacha el zar. And of course the Simple translation of that Pasuk is, don't let there be a strange God, Avodah Zarah, among you. 
But the Kotzker, in a unbelievable interpretation of the Pasuk, understands it differently. Lo Don't let Hashem be an Elzar, be a stranger to you. Don't be a stranger to HaKadosh Baruch don't let him be a stranger to you. And I think it's clear based on everything we're saying, if a person would ignore, would become distant from Torah mitzvos, in that sense you could say, you know, HaKadosh Baruch I haven't seen you in 11 months, I haven't seen you in a year, I haven't seen you in a while. Obviously that would be distant. But I think it's very clear as well, that even when we're saying what we have to say, doing what we are supposed to do, showing up when we're supposed to show up, Rahman al-Aslan, even then sometimes, HaKadosh Baruch Hu can be an Elzar, can be a stranger to us. And we can be, even if we're not estranged from him, but he can be a stranger to us. Rahman al-Aslan, we could be a stranger to him. And says the Kotzker, that's really the Avoda. And I think every year, this is a challenge. But especially this year. So many of us over the last six months have struggled to truly feel Hashem's presence, let alone His love or embrace. It's always a challenge. There's a reason that it goes back to the Nevi'im. It's not a new challenge. It's always a challenge. But I think for many of us, especially in the last few months, it has truly truly been difficult. Baruch Hashem and Bli Ayin Hara, no one in our community has been severely affected in terms of their own health. But there are people on this call, and there are certainly people in this community who've had relatives who've been sick, and at least at least in one case, very, very, very sick. Rahman al-Itzlan. Even those who haven't been directly affected from the health perspective, we've all had our lives turned upside down. People's parnasa have been affected, in some cases subtly, and in other cases more dramatically. And we keep on waiting for that shmeichel, that little wink, the nod, the loving smile, the loving embrace from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to tell us He wants us back, to tell us things will be good again. And when we thought it was good, now we're in the moment, in a very difficult situation, as things seem to be turning in the opposite direction. But as difficult as it is, that's why Slichos, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, it couldn't come at a better and more opportune time. This is exactly what this time is meant for. To open our hearts, to correct our ways, both in terms of our Averos, and just as much as I mentioned, with our mitzvos as well, with Hashem's help, and with each other. Ish Esri'eyu Yazoru, the Yomar Chazak. That's why we're here as a Kehillah, because we all understand that Together, greater than the sum of our parts. We're not just individuals who happen to be neighbors. We're here as part of a kihila because we know that we can help each other and that together we're more powerful than any of us could be individually. And therefore tonight, we take the first step from going from Pano Elai Oref to hopefully Pano Elai Panim to make HaKadosh Baruch Hu an even stronger and more intimate presence in our lives. Akedas Yitzhak plays a very central and critical role in the experience of Rosh Hashanah. We know this, of course, because the shofar, which could be kosher 
if it came from many, many other kinds of animals. But traditionally, all communities observe what the Gemara says is the preferred way of performing the mitzvah with the shofar shel ayel, a ram's horn, because of its connection to the story in the postscript after Yitzchak is saved and instead Avram sacrifices the ram. Moreover, we know that we reference the Akedah in Kriya Torah, as well as in the Brachos in Musaf of Zichronos, where we ask Hashem to remember all sorts of things as a merit to us and to help our judgment. And the climax of that, of course, and the most primary focus is to remember Akedah Yitzchak as he judges us favorably. The question is, why specifically does Akedah Yitzchak play such a prominent role? Or, perhaps said slightly differently, what about Akedah Yitzchak is so pivotal and so central and considered so meritorious for us that we reference it so many times and in such important ways on Rosh Hashanah? That it's a big schuss for Avram and Yitzchak who actually endured the Akedah, I understand. But what do we benefit? How are we leveraging off of that that makes it such a central aspect and dimension in so many ways as we previously mentioned of the Rosh Hashanah experience. In order to explain that, I'd like to share with you a beautiful insight of the Meshechachma in his commentary to Parshas Vieira, the actual story of Akedas Yitzchak. And in that context, before getting to the questions that we asked, the Meshechachma himself asks a different question, which is that the Gemara tells us in Masech Tabrachos on Davav Amar Aleph that if a Jewish person tries to do a mitzvah, very much wants to do a mitzvah, and then for some reason, beyond his or her control, ends up not doing the mitzvah, ma'ala Allah ha'kasav ki'ilu asa, that you get credit for your good intentions. If you genuinely wanted to do it, and the reason you couldn't do it was out of your control, you get credit, mitztarfin machshava tova lamaisa. Hashem, so to speak, gives you credit for your machshava tova, for your good wishes. On the other hand, uh, it's clear, says the Gemara, that it's not true in the other direction. If a person wanted to do a sin, he had a machshava ra, but then for whatever reason didn't end up doing the sin, a person is not necessarily punished for that. We are not mitztaref machshava ra'a lemaise. So there is this imbalance which we, Baruch Hashem, benefit from. And the question is, why is that so? This question is compounded when we compare the fact that the Yerushalmi in Masech in the first chapter tells us that Begoyim Chilufa, that it's just the opposite when it comes to non-Jews. Hashem doesn't necessarily give them credit if they only have a good thought, only if they have a good deed. On the other hand, if they have a bad thought, even if they ended up not following up on it, Hashem would punish them. So this is not only a, so to speak, benefit that we have, but it's sharpened by the fact that Specifically, Jews have it and non-Jews don't. Why is it that we get this benefit of the doubt? And why specifically Jewish people and not non-Jewish people? So, in order to answer that question, the Meshachachma invokes what he considers the pivotal lesson and the lasting legacy of the Akedah. And he points out that when Yitzchak was willing to give up his life, Al-Kiddush Hashem, from that point and onwards, Me'az v'hala, in other words, says the Meshachachma, what Yitzchak was willing to do was put Hashem's desire and will above his own. He was saying that it's not about what I want, Hashem, but it's about what you want. And I live to be a vehicle for Ratzon Hashem and for Kvod Shamayim. And if this is what you want, then that is what I'm willing to do, because that's who I am. I am, Yitzchak in essence was saying, is someone who will do whatever it is that you want, and won't do what you don't want. And, 
more importantly, says the Meshachachma, that Mida that Yitzchak um, exhibited to such a dramatic degree at the Akedah, he was able to not only exhibit it, but it became part of who he was, part of his spiritual DNA, and it has been passed down to the Jewish people for all generations. As the Meshachachma said, Hukva leteva kayam Yisraelit. This has become part of the living and sustained DNA, our inner nature from generation to generations of the Jewish people. That is to say that imprinted in us as the beneficiaries and descendants of Yitzhak Avinu is this Mida as well, that deep down inside, whether we realize it or not, in our Kishkas, our truest self at our core, we want to do Ratzon Hashem. That is something that we have inherited as part of our spiritual DNA from Yitzhak. That is his interpretation of Maisa'avos Simon Labanim. It's a Simon. It le- le- left a lasting impression, an imprint on us. And therefore, says the Meshachachma, that is why Matstarfin Machshavatova Lamaisa. If we have a good deed, even if in the end we don't do it, that's actually a confirmation and consistent with our inner self. And therefore, we deserve that credit for it because it's really expressing who we truly are. If we have a bad thought, which every human being can, we certainly have a Chirachashis. But since that's not really who we are, it doesn't really count unless we actually went through it, through with it. It's only the Machshava Tova, which anyway is a confirmation of who we are, which is truly considered meaningful. And that is something that we are uniquely beneficiaries as being descendants of, as I mentioned, Yitzchak Avinu and his behavior at the Akedas Yitzchak. The uh, Meshachachma mentions in this vein the famous comments of the Rambam in Hechos Gerushin, if a man refuses to give his wife a get, even though the Bezdin requires him to do so, even though we wouldn't do this now lawfully, but in the time of uh, the Sanhedrin, way back when, when Jews had autonomy, the Bezdin would empower the representatives to beat the man until he gave the get. And that was considered to be genuinely his ratzon. You need the ratzon of the man to give the get, but that was considered his inner ratzon, even though he's only giving the get because he's being beaten. But the Rambam writes so poetically that he really wants to give the get. His true self wants to give the get. The Yitzhahara is getting in the way, and we're not coercing him is rather we're removing the artificial impediment. And this all goes back, says the Meshachachma, to this Mida that we all have from Yitzhak Avinu. And now we understand why we invoke the Akedah so often on Rosh Hashanah. Because what we're really saying is, Hashem, judge us for who we truly are. We're B'nai Yitzhak Avinu. We have this Mida, our true essence is to do your will, and therefore even though we haven't always lived up to it, but judge us not only for what we've done, but who we really are. There's a fascinating machlokis brought down about whether it is appropriate or not to cry on Rosh Hashanah. The Vilna Gon is brought down in the Sefer Maiserav as being of the opinion that Ein Livkos Rosh Hashanah, a person should not cry on Rosh Hashanah. And as a proof for this position, he cites the Psukim in the end of Sefer Ezra Nehemiah, in which after the Jewish people came back to Israel and the Torah was read to them, they started crying. The Navi specifically tells them, you shouldn't be mourning, you shouldn't be sad, you shouldn't be crying. And therefore, says the Don Lagoon, you see that it's simply inappropriate to be crying. Ain live coast Rosh Hashanah. On the other hand, the number of Sfarim bring down the practice of the Arizal, who personally nahag live coast Rosh Hashanah. He had the personal practice of crying on Rosh Hashanah as well as on Yom Kippur. And then he added, for great measure, Anyone who doesn't cry on these days, not only Yom Kippur, but even Rosh Hashanah, if you don't cry on those days, there's something off with your neshama. You need a spiritual checkup because there's something 
lacking in your neshama and in your spiritual makeup. So he felt very, very strongly that you should cry. And presumably he felt that the Pesukim and Ezra Nechamir were describing a one-time and unique historical situation. But in general, the Arizal said, one absolutely should cry on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And it seems clear that the deeper issue animating this Machokes is actually about the whole nature of the day of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is, I would argue, perhaps our most complex holiday. And on the one hand, there are clearly elements of din. The whole world is judged. Individuals are judged. The lives of our families, our own lives, are hanging in the balance. On the other hand, it's a yantif. And there are many of the typical characteristics of a yantif that are also existing on Rosh Hashanah. And it seems as if the Vilnagon and the Arizal are arguing about which one of these themes is the dominant one in Rosh Hashanah. The Vilna Gaon's perspective seems to be that while it's true that there is a din, there's a judgment, and of course we take that seriously, but fundamentally this is a yantif, and therefore a happy day, like other Yom Tovim. Whereas the Arizal seems to feel that the true nature and character of Rosh Hashanah is that of a day of din. It may technically be a yantif, but its real personality is that of din, which of course is scary, and if you take that seriously, then certainly it would explain why a person would be moved to tears if they take that judgment so seriously, uh, and in a very, very deep and meaningful way. In hundreds of years before this machlokas, there was an earlier machlokas which seems to revolve around the same issue. And that is the machlokas in the Geonim about whether it's appropriate to fast or not on Rosh Hashanah. This is somewhat unfamiliar to many people because, in fact, we pass on a Shulchan Aruch that you cannot fast. You must have Sudas Yantiv on Rosh Hashanah. But in the Geonim, it was actually a real wide-ranging debate. Some felt that you should not fast at all. Some felt that it was kind of a Rashus. You could fast if you wanted, and perhaps maybe not on the first day, because that's the Arisa, but certainly if you want, you could fast on the second day. And then there was a third view that actually felt it was a mitzvah. No one said it's obligatory, but some said it was actually a mitzvah to fast. So you had a full range of views. And as I mentioned, we paskin that you don't fast, you actually must eat. But the very fact that you have this machlokas, something that which never would happen on uh, Pesach, Shavuos, or Sukkot, there's no machlokas, no one has a havamina, you could fast on those holidays. And yet, on Rosh Hashanah, uniquely, you have this wide range of views. And again, here also, it seems clear and evident that the machlokas is not just about the technical question of eating and fasting, but about this deeper issue what is the true character of the day? Is it truly a day of Simcha? And therefore, of course, you would eat like other Yom Tovim? Or is it perhaps more dominantly a day of Din, in which perhaps you might encourage or at least permit fasting? And as I said, we paskin that you can't uh, fast, and therefore it seems like, at least on that basic question, we seem to nod towards the Simcha and the Yontif theme of the day. Perhaps a way, at least on a Hashkafic level, on a philosophical, deeper level, perhaps a third way, so to speak, a kosav hashlishi, not this or that, but perhaps some kind of a hybrid combination, perhaps a deeper understanding might be based on an idea that I heard many years ago from Mori Verabi Rosenzweig, and also saw sometime after that a very similar idea, not with the exact same language, but really the same essential idea from the great uh, sage in Yerushalayim, Rabbi Shlomo Fisher, and his Sefer Beis Ishai. And they both, Rosenzweig and Rabbi Shlomo Fisher, made the point that on the one hand, what gives Rosh Hashanah its greatest um, you know, potency as a unique and scary day, perhaps, is the fact that it's a day of judgment. No doubt about that. On the other hand, the very fact that we stand alone in judgment with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that we are privileged to have a private audience with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, as we say in the Nisana Tokef, each one of us stands one-on-one, uh, Kivnei Maron, uh, for our personal and private meeting with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That intimacy 
that personal privilege that we are afforded to be one-on-one with Hashem is in fact the greatest privilege and the greatest source of simcha and comfort that a person could have in this world. It's one thing to be judged by a rookie judge, by a night court judge, a backbench judge, but here we're being judged by the Melech Machayam Lachim. Only the most chashiv, only the most important of litigants would merit to be judged by the supremest of all judges. And it's a one-on-one. That is itself a great source of comfort and inspiring and simcha. And therefore, evidently what we see is that the very thing which causes our anxiety is the very same phenomenon which could bring us the greatest comfort and simcha. Rav Rosenzweig suggested that this duality, or even dialectic we could call it, is very meduyak in the beautiful words of the Rambam and his commentary to the Mishnah in the parish of Mishnayis. Or when the Rambam explains why we don't say Hallel on Rosh Hashanah, the Rambam starts off speaking very powerfully and eloquently about how it's a scary day and it's an intimidating day and we're frightened for our lives and therefore mivrach umanos elav and therefore because we're so scared we're running and we're fleeing elav towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu. we would have expected the Rambam to conclude that because we're so scared we run milafanav we're running away from him but in fact the Rambam says we are mivrach umanos Love. We run towards Hashem. Because on the one hand, it's Hashem's judgment that scares us. On the other hand, if we're truly scared, where else would we rather be but in the loving embrace, an intimate position with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And therefore, Rosh Hashanah, in fact, contains elements of both because it's the intimacy of the judgment, which is the source of both our anxiety and our greatest simcha. Wishing everyone a Shana Tova, a good Kibbeth